Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. Agrippa said to Paul, it is permitted for you to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that today I am going to make a defense before you about everything that I am accused of by the Jews, especially since you are an expert in all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem. They had previously known me for quite some time, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. The promise of our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why is it considered incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself supposed it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus, the Nazarene. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In all the synagogues, I often tried to make them blaspheme by punishing them. I even pursued them to foreign cities, and I was greatly enraged at them. Father, thank you, Lord, this morning for the privilege of being here, Lord, and worshiping, exalting, glorifying your name. Father, now as your word is read and proclaimed, Father, I pray that you would speak as only you can. Hide me behind the cross, Lord, so that you alone may be glorified. Lord, we thank you above all for Jesus and the sacrifice that was made as the death, burial, and resurrection attest to the goodness and the love of you like nothing else. Father, we praise and bless your holy name this morning, and we ask all this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. may be seated. So verse 2 and 3 again, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that today I am going to make a defense before you about everything I am accused of by the Jews, especially since you are an expert in all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Please, the first thing that I want to share with you this morning, and it is this, no need for perfection, only obedience. How many times... Those of you who are perfectionists, times we say we're OCD, have obsessive compulsive disorder. You want things perfect. Anybody ever battle that when you try to take and transfer that into the spiritual realm? You know, you're wondering if your prayers are done right, if you've prayed it properly, or, you know, Lord, have I, have I done enough, and have I this, and have I that? And, and we end up taking, and in an essence, converting ourselves from an a New Testament, New Covenant follower of Christ, and we, in reality, place ourselves under the law. 
Because we're thinking that if we don't do things perfectly, that God's going to, you know, he's not going to be happy with me. He's not going to love me as much. We might not even say that to ourselves, but that's what subconsciously we're really thinking. Anybody battle that? Yes, I know. It's a very, very difficult battle within the self. And that's why you hear me often reference, there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more. This morning, if you literally have batted zero from the moment you got up, everything from your attitude to your actions and everything else. Maybe you didn't stop at the corner down here when you came around arguing on the way to church and you argued all the way into the parking lot because you were going to, that diehard defense, conquering Rome in a day thought process. And you're still mad about it. I want to tell you something. God loves you as much right now as he loved you the day that you came to church praising God and glorifying his name all the way here. He loves you no less in your greatest of battles. And I think one of the reasons I say that so much is I know what it's like to, in a sense, live under the law. Because I grew up like that in the little churches that I went to in the schools that saddled this legalistic form of Christianity to me and made me think that anything that I did, you know, if I thought about wanting to go on a date before I was 18 years old, you know, you were just hell bound. And to listen to rock and roll music, you might as well give it up. You're done. And that's what they presented to me. So I began to form this theology. And what was so wild, it was polar opposite of what my dad was preaching in his church. But you know, as you're growing up, the thing that you hear the more. So I heard this every day in chapel school. So that's what I formed my theological understanding of God around. So you know what ultimately happened to me when I walked away from all of it is there was no way I could meet this standard of this God. So there was no reason to try because I was just, there was no way. That's why it's so important for me to recognize it is not by works. It's by grace we've been saved through faith, not of works. Now, do I believe that we should desire daily to wake up and, and desire to greater be conformed into the likeness of Christ? Do I believe that we should wake up and as scripture says, be holy because I am holy and desire holiness? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that by our works we're going to make, no, I want the world to see Christ lived out in me. I want to see the, reflect, the reflective picture of God's glory not be distorted by my humanity by the battle within that we all battle. So mine doesn't have anything to do with being more righteous in his sight and him loving me more. It just has more to do with me living according to God's desire for my life with which the greatest level of fulfillment that we can ever experience is found in the midst of obedience. So if you are conforming into likeness of Christ and you are overwhelmed with God's power, his presence, and the peace of living in communion with the Father, when I don't miss the mark, this is where the feeling that is not like that comes from. Because when you and I are living, rejecting whatever it is, even if it's attitudes and actions that God's word says are gonna be harmful to us, we excuse ourselves from fellowshipping with the Lord, entering into his presence and feeling that because sin prevents us from entering his presence. And what does the enemy want? He wants us to have all of this baggage that we are carrying ourselves by our own rebellion so that we are feeling a mile or 10,000 miles away from the Lord. He wants us living in that state because how do we feel when we have unconfessed sin? Anybody say, oh, it feels awesome. No, 
It's actually quite the contradictory. What does it do? The enemy starts to tell you, you know, I don't know what in the world God saved you for. You're a sorry, no-count loser. I don't know why in the world that God would have ever sent his son. These are lies. He is the author of lies. So what he wants to do is prevent us from being effective in kingdom work. He wants us to believe that we have to have perfection or God won't want anything. And what is so sad is we buy those lies. And it's important to look at even the sense of Paul. He was honest about his faults, honest about his failures. And by the way, I appreciate that. And I love the, the reality of, of the battles and struggles of people in Scripture that I see, and even in their falls, recognizing that, you know, there's nobody who's perfect. Nobody's going to ultimately meet that standard. That's why we need Jesus. And what's so amazing is, is living in the presence of the Lord as a regenerate follower of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, as it convicts us, what does it do? That conviction leads us to repentance. Unless you allow the deceitfulness, as Scripture says, be careful the deceitfulness of sin does not harden your heart. But that's what's so amazing because when sin begins to take root and we finally feel that conviction and we respond to it, the proper response is, is to confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How about that feeling? After you have excused yourself through our rebellion to once again walk back into the presence of the Lord and experience that amazing blessing of that close, intimate fellowship with him. Just realize those things that, that nothing more than a lie from the enemy is trying to, to keep you or I from dwelling continually in the presence of the Lord. Prayer life. Anybody know what happens to your prayer life when sin has been ushered in? You ever noticed? It's like going through a meat grinder, isn't it? Your prayer life goes right out the window. Isn't that interesting? Pretty ironic, isn't it? You ever notice when those of you who read your Bible every day is when you, you, sometimes you find yourself and you don't, you don't just go, you know what, I'm not going to read today. You get busy. Your schedule gets off. Something happens and, and you just, you didn't even choose to do it. You find yourself a few days later how do you notice that? Because all of a sudden you're going, victory in Jesus, no, oh, welcome to the jungle. And all of a sudden you were, everything was great. And then all of a sudden things just started coming unglued. Your wheels fell off. Anybody ever seen that picture of the, it was a tire that came off an interstate, little Kia, it was a little Kia Souls or something, hits that thing. And that little car is going down the interstate about 65. This tire hits it. And that car shoots straight up in the air. Anybody see that? It was a little Kia Soul. I, hey, two seconds before, and then this thing rockets up in the air. I'd say 15 or 20 feet, and then ends up in a complete, terrible, horrible disaster. That's what happens. That's why it's so imperative that we stay in his presence, in prayer, and we'll realize, though, that those times that things start to go haywire, it's because the enemy wants nothing more than to get us out of God's presence. He wants us out in our prayer life. He does not want us walking with the Lord, does he? No, we know that because all you've got to do is read in Genesis what happened. Adam walked with God every single day. Now, do we have the privilege today of walking with God because we met a standard? 
No, it's Jesus Christ met the standard. Jesus Christ paid our sin debt to restore the fellowship with the Father that had been broken in the garden. That's what's so beautiful today. But remember, do not believe for a moment that we need perfection. We only need obedience. Scripture says to obey is better than sacrifice. Amen? Praise God. Obedience, that's what God's desire for us because then we live and we conform into his likeness as followers of Christ. Listen to verse 8 and 9 again. So why is it considered incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself supposed it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Second thing I want to share with you this morning is this. Jesus Christ is the gasoline on the fire of hatred attacking truth. What is, what's Paul doing? It's invoking truth. Seems like anybody that had been in the audience would go, wait a minute, hey, if this is true, I want to hear it, I want to know it. Isn't it ironic that this disdain for this person that we've placed our faith and trust in is literally gasoline on that fire of hatred that attacks truth. The enemy doesn't want truth to be in all things preeminent. If it's truth, I would say present it because it'll either you'll live or die by it. You'll defend the merits of it or it'll be proved untrue. I've listened to things that I didn't agree with at all because who am I that I wouldn't listen if somebody has a defense for something or something that they don't agree with? Why would I? Oh, no, I won't even listen to it unless they want to argue the validity of Jesus Christ's virgin birth, that he was the son of God. Those are things I will listen to engage them in a spiritual conversation of helping take the, the, the merit away from anything that would try to attack the truth of the gospel. But if you and I shut down any person that ever wants to have a dialogue, as long as they have a good heart and a mind for wanting to do it, not just wanting to be argumentative, you'll get people like that. What would you do with that? I wouldn't give them five minutes. Anybody who just wants to be argumentative, there is nothing that's going to come out of that that's going to be good. So if someone wants an argument, you just might as well excuse yourself out and have them find somebody else that can waste their time. Because there's people out there that do want to hear the truth. Anybody else in here excited about truth? Praise God. I can hear and learn truth from a little one. If you and I are willing to listen, don't think just because you and I are learned older people that, you know, there's nothing a little one could teach me. What did Jesus show us? Suffer little children to what? Come unto me for the kingdom belongs to such as these. There's a lot you can learn from little ones, and I'm going to tell you one of the most important, their authenticity. The little ones are authentic. If they come up and love you, guess what? They love you pretty much unconditionally, don't they? And I love the childlike faith that I watch in little ones. You know what I hear from adults? You know, I just have a hard time tracking with God that can't see him, and, you know, and... Uh, I just don't get it, and I, I don't understand it, and you know what I hear from the little ones? What I hear on the way to church this morning when the little one's in the back seat, and Rich Mullins says, God is an awesome God, and they're back there just saying, our God is an awesome God, and the, the true reality of that tender-hearted, complete faith 
There's no way you can change their mind. They, God's there and he's real. It's us that have the issue with faith, don't we? I love childlike faith. Anybody else appreciate that? Amen. God has so blessed us with those little, so don't forget, sometimes God can teach you a whole lot through those little ones that a lot of times we want to excuse away. You know, they're not old. They don't know what they're talking about. You better stop and listen for a little while because not only could you be a stumbling block by that little spiritual statement they want to make, but at the same time, don't you want them to get an appropriate picture of God? Because where do they get the first picture of God from? First from mom and then dad. And a lot of times kids get a really warped view of God because, you know, the abuse of the alcoholic and this and that and the other things, they, they see God like that. God's not this compassionate person that when he says something, he means business, but he's also tenderhearted in his desire to minister and to be who he's called to be. A lot of the warpedness that comes out of the perceptions people have of God come from dads that have been really off the mark in their lives. And I think it's so important, though, to keep in mind that this disdain that the world has for what we are resides in the power of Jesus Christ. It is merely a gasoline on the fire of hatred for truth. They do not like the name of Christ. And you have to understand that. Those people that are opposed to us as Christians, they're not opposed to us. It's back when I was a police officer. I would see somebody out of uniform. Hey, man, what's going on? You know, hey, what's up? You know, they didn't know who I was. Oh, man. You see them in uniform? They didn't even see a face. They hated everything that you represent. They didn't have an issue with me. They had an issue with what you represent. This morning, the world disdains what we are because of so what is Scripture? say, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. How can we separate those two natures? Oh, I'm going to put my Jesus nature on hold. Sadly, I've watched it. I'm going to put my Jesus nature on hold, and I'm going to go out and enjoy the weekend, and then I'm going to come back on Sunday, get my Holy Spirit life preserver back out, and then, you know, God be the glory, uh, shouting for hanging from the chandeliers in worship. And then Monday morning, you know, we hang up the God thing on Sunday evening or whenever it is, and we go back on. I hope nobody in here is doing that. And I, and I say that because it will detrimentally affect some people's picture of the kingdom, just like it did for me growing up, not with my parents. Again, from people that had nothing to do with my home life or even my home church life. It was detrimental to my picture of the Lord and was one of the reasons that I walked away. It was detrimental to my understanding of what it meant to be a follower of Christ because that's when I gave my life to the Lord, I'll give you my life and I'll follow you for the rest of my life. You take out what needs to be taken out and you put in what needs to be put in. And what I realized and came to know then is that we serve a God of power. We serve a powerful God that can take out what needs taken out and will put in what needs to be put in. But we serve a God that as we're going through in our Sunday school this morning, a God that wants to walk with us. A God that wants to hear our greatest battles, our greatest struggles. He cares about every single thing. He is so...
separated and way out there, and Paul's got to hit it right, because if not, God forbid. No. Paul served a God that was right there. God that was orchestrating every single turn, every door, every boat ride. We're getting ready to go into the shipwreck soon. Most of you know Acts, so I'm not spoiling it for you. We're getting ready to go into this divine storm that God allows for His glory. Greater God is just orchestrating every single thing that occurs. And you know what? God wants that for us this morning. But there's only one thing that hinders it. It's us. It's us. We walk in by faith. We walk in by sight. Are we going to be the Paul that allowed this orchestration of all of these figures that could have never happened to be doing now this presenting of the gospel? Of our selfish pride or our lack of faith? Did we railroad the ministry long before? I say that in saying to you, as I shared with you, what, a week or two ago when I was in my wheelchair and I remember the time that I went out on my back porch and I was, at that point, they said it would never be, a, I wouldn't walk again. And I rolled out on the back porch and said, God, you do whatever you want to do with me. Use me for your glory. I'll serve you the rest of my life in this. I didn't give you my life so that you'd get me out of this chair. I'll never forget it. You see what God knew, though? God knew today at Longview Baptist Church. God knew in March of 2008 when God put me here. God sees tomorrow. God sees next week, next month, next year. But now listen. You know how easy it would have been because back during the time that I was in the chair, let me tell you what doctors were doing. Doctors were writing prescriptions for pain pills like there was no tomorrow coming. Not only would they send you out of there, they'd send you out, and no, I'm not exaggerating, with a bottle this big every month. That, and then a nice big bottle of muscle relaxers if you would take them. And as a matter of fact, it was so convenient that they had a pharmacy inside the doctor's office. And I remember, as I was at that point of going, oh, I want to do this. I remember specifically saying, this, I don't think this is smart. I don't think I should do this. You know what I was doing, right? I was choosing to trust the Lord more than I was to trust that this large amount of pills was going to do something good for me. I'm very thankful that I wasn't one of the victims of what happened to so many people during that period of time. Because even now, there's people that are breathing their last breath because they ended up with doctors giving them medicine. They didn't know any different. They got on horrible addictions that ultimately when the government started cracking down on being able to take those, many of them were so addicted that they ended up using illegal drugs then. And sadly, that has played out over and over again all throughout. And we have to make this choice in our lives to trust God, to lean not on our own understanding. I know what I always say, you go to the great physician before you go to the physician, amen? Because the great physician will lead you to the physician that he wants you to. And as we trust him, that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 applies to that too, amen? They got greater marks this morning. We got the amen side over here. But we have to every 
morning, we make a choice. We are choosing to let God be triumphant, God be in all things preeminent, or we're walking by sight. Paul ended up where he was at because he yielded himself to God's plan. The torture and torment that Paul endured in the beatings, in the cold jail cells, each and every one of those things, I'm not going to lie to you, would be very difficult to have stood firm and trusted God in the midst of. But you know what? Paul knew that this hatred stemmed from the hatred of Jesus, not Paul. And Paul knew that the gospel, if those people didn't matter enough for him to endure what he was going through for the gospel, what would it be? His whole life would be a waste. Wait, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I consider it rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes through Christ and through faith. I want to know him in the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. That is the definition of Paul's life. This morning, don't forget, it's not a disdain for you or I. It's a disdain for everything that we represent. Endure the suffering as a follower of Christ, recognizing that this, one day, will be a moment in history and time and will give way of the God of all creation for eternity. And I don't know any greater joy in anything that you can focus on, especially in the midst of adversity, the trials, the tribulations, and many times the torment that we as Christians can endure, sometimes just to the oppressive way with which the enemy attacks us. And then listen to verses 10 and 11 again. I actually did this in Jerusalem and had locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and in all the synagogues, I often tried to make them blaspheme by punishing them. I even pursued them to foreign cities since I was greatly enraged at them. Leads the third and final thing this morning that I want to share with you, and it's this. When in rebellion to truth, sin seems the right path to follow. When in rebellion to truth, sin seems like the right path to follow. What do we know when Paul was Saul? He did everything he was doing, he thought with the greatest good and intention of someone who loved God. Didn't matter that he was off base, did it? In his mind, he didn't know. In his mind, they had rejected Jesus Christ. Just because we think what we're doing is the right thing, if we're outside of God's desire, his path, his purpose, and his plan, we have to watch and we have to get in God's word and let the scripture speak to whatever it is that we're dealing with. Because when we are deceived, we are really good at convincing ourselves we're doing the right thing. Once again, all the more reason to search the word of God. When? Continually, daily. Be in God's word daily. Search me and know me. See if there may be any wicked way in me, what scripture says. Lead me in the paths of righteousness. Hey, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Reiterate truths of scripture. Why? 
Because that's where life is found. That's where truth is found. Seek me with all your heart. And what does Scripture say? I will be found. Do you want to know Him like that? If you do, why aren't you seeking Him? Because I promise you this morning, if you want to know Christ, all you have to do is seek Him. If you want to be the man of God that God created you to be, seek God with all your heart. If you want to be the father created you to be, seek God with all your heart. If you want to be the mother that God created you to be, seek Him with all your heart. If you want to be the wife that God created you to be, seek Him with all your heart. And the reason I say that is there's a promise attached with it. I will be found. I'm at the age where I realize I'm not going to engage in the law of diminishing returns, church. I'm not going to engage in something no has no return. I don't have enough time. You can mess around with that stuff when you're young, and you can, well, we'll just see what's good. I'll do whatever I want to do, and whatever happens, and I don't have time to do that. I'm at the point in life where I recognize that what I'm investing in has to have a, a, what God wants me to do, and it, it has to be something that has eternal value. Why? Because we have a limited number of days. I had that as a young man, right? Limited days, but you, you don't think about those things. Yeah, there's a possibility that I could have died when I was younger. So I'm saying we're all living on borrowed time. Every one of us, doesn't matter how young we are, right? Because Scripture says we're not promised tomorrow. The only thing we have right now is now. What are you doing with now? What are you doing with your now? Don't get caught in re rebelling against God. I'm, I'm just telling you, don't, we don't have the time to waste. None of us do. Invest in something that matters. What matters? The things of eternal. What have we been doing on Wednesday nights? The matters of the heart, because the matters of a heart are the matters of eternity. You want to know what the heart of God is passionate for? Turn next to you and look at them and look at the other one. You look at people, you know what God is passionate about. There now you understand why I disdain abortion. I disdain it because God's scripture says that God is the giver of all life. All life. And God doesn't make mistakes, amen? Maybe it's not optimal because of mankind's sin. That wasn't, God's not the one that made the choice they made, amen? God doesn't make mistakes. Well, you know, they have downs. Down syndrome is one of the greatest blessings that anybody can ever experience. They love you like no one else. And I mean that. You spend time with a child with Down syndrome, and you'll be loved like you've never been loved in your lifetime. They're incredible people. You find these people that the world thinks something's wrong with, and you'll find that God's gifted to love you like none other. See, I just trust God because I know the heart of God and the heart of God is passionate for his creation. And therefore, I don't ever find a reason that exterminating his creation is acceptable. And I, I you know what? I'm going to take that to my grave. And if God has an issue with it, I'll deal with it on the other side. But I don't think he will. Because I think what scripture says is he doesn't make mistakes. And scripture says what? Before, I, before they knew you, I knit you together in your mother's womb. Gather of all life. And this morning, as you look at that last one, from rebellion to the truth, sin seems the right path to follow. You want to find out how to get yourself in the biggest mess you can ever? 
You start thinking about your wallet when you start thinking about politics, and I promise you what will happen, you'll find yourself in complete contradiction to truth. Because when you and I start voting for our wallets as opposed to your moral convictions, you buy the lie. I don't care what you think about it. I'm just telling you that's what Scripture think about the heart of God and what's most important to God. And when it comes to voting, stop worrying. I don't have a wallet on me, but stop worrying about money. Start thinking about what God would think about the moral convictions that you and I have as followers of Christ. Can we change it all? My vote ain't going to matter. Stop it. Because everybody else starts thinking like you do. My vote doesn't matter. It doesn't count. Stop thinking that. You do to the greatest ability you have to honor the Lord with everything that you have, and you trust the Lord. Amen. And when you're in, in defiance of truth, guess what starts to happen? A lot of these competing narratives start to give credence to what our warped and deceived minds begin to lay ourselves victim to because when we are in defiance and rebellion before God, we can buy any lie. Doesn't matter what it is. Anything sounds great because what does Scripture say when the Israelites would get off course? What did they say? Everyone did what was what? Rhymes. Their own eyes. What does that mean? We're real good at deceiving ourselves. So how do you keep from doing that? You do what Paul did. Look at everything through the lens of Scripture. Do what the Bereans did. Don't believe what I say just because I say it. Look in the Word. Get in God's Word. Know it better than I do. So that what Scripture says, so that what? You might not be deceived. Know Scripture better than I do. What you'll find is at Him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look in His wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Do I desire to experience what Paul did? No. I've had enough pain in my lifetime for a couple lifetimes. If that's God's will and desire, so be it. Outside of God's plan. What is John chapter 8, 44? You're the father of the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, has not stood in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature, because he is a liar and the father of lies. Don't buy the lie. What is the lie? Oh, that you can have a a transforming work of God in your life by not reading Scripture and sisters get in God's Word. Live in God's presence. Dwell in His presence. Seek Him with all your heart. Desire, no matter what the cost, Father, lead me into your perfect path and your perfect will for my life, God. I don't care where you take me and what you do. I am yours have your way in me. Lord, whatever the cost, may you be glorified. Do you want to live a life? Know that you'll live a life worth living because that's a prayer 
that is praying in accordance with God's will. And what do we learn from day one? When we pray in accordance with God's will, he always answers. Ready? Wait for one. Lord, I got a neighbor next door that's not a believer, and um, I, I don't know if you want me to go and share the gospel or share my story with them, Lord, and what you've done in my life. I'm going to pray about it until I feel led to do that, Lord. You know what you've already done? To tell you. you what he's already said go and do do you see where I'm tracking I can't tell you the number of times since I was a child that I heard someone when asked to do something the Bible commanded someone says I'll start praying about it and see if God wants me to do it and it's always kind of blown my mind because I thought wait a minute you're already supposed to do that why would you have to pray that God would tell you to do what he's already commanded you to do that doesn't make sense does it now, it's to go. No, you want to pray and you want to seek godly counsel to see if that's where God's leading you. Because not everyone does God lead to Zimbabwe. Most notably, God sends us to the mission field in our neighborhood first, usually. So if you're not going to your mission field in your neighborhood, why in the world do you think for a moment that you should go out of the country? But a lot of times we sit back and we convince ourselves to do what we want to do. And we convince ourselves that the mission field we think is most appropriate in the Word of God. And we're not applying what Scripture commands us to do in the first place. And that's why I think most notably the modern day evangelical church is bought, convicted, and ready for sentencing on the great omission. The Great Commission says to go ye therefore and make disciples, teaching them everything I've commanded you. We want to go and make disciples, and we won't teach them anything I've commanded you. There's no discipleship. It's all about getting somebody, I call it saved and bathed. Getting them in a baptismal, patting them on the back and say, hey, have a nice life. Good to know you, brother or sister. You know what that does? It does more harm to the kingdom than anything else. Because that person's not going to get discipled. Three, it fell away. That's why it's so important to get in the connecting that I talked with you about. And so many of you who've gotten connected here and you're growing spiritually. That's what it's about. It's about being what Paul does over and over again in these studies. What does he do? He goes back around to make sure everything's going good and to see how everybody's doing and to disciple them and grow them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. This morning, where are you at? Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be.
and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.